Well, Jimmy and I are both trying to pretty things up up here. He brought pretty women up here, and we got some flowers for me, so <laughs> we're trying to look better up here. All right. Well, uh, you know, last week, and, and actually every week in Luke, we have seen more and more miracles that Jesus has done. In chapter 4, we saw Jesus cast a demon out of a man who was in the synagogue, and then he healed Peter's mother-in-law and lots of other folks in chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, Jesus has Peter catch this miraculous load of fish after he, the professional fisherman, has been out there working all night long. Jesus says, hey, try on the other side. And you know, he's like, dude, it's not going to work. But he does it and he obeys and he catches this massive load of fish. In chapter 5, he cleanses a leper and heals a paralytic. And then in chapter 6, he heals a man with a withered hand. Chapter 7, he heals the son of the centurion that had that amazing faith. And then he raises a widow's son from the dead as he is being carried out for his burial. In chapter 8, he calms a storm, heals a man with thousands of demons in him, heals the woman with the issue of blood that came up and touched his garment, and then raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Now, let me ask you a question, and I want us to think together for a moment. What do all these miracles have in common? I'll give you a hint. Did Jesus ever fly? Did he ever jump off the pinnacle of the temple and be slowly carried down by angels? Did he call fire and brimstone down on some of these unbelieving towns that certainly deserved it? He didn't. All of his miracles healed or blessed people in some way. He was ministering to the needs of people and preaching the gospel. That's really important because that is what we're going to talk about today. We'll see today that is exactly what he sends his followers out to do. Two things. Preach the gospel and minister to people. Let's read the first few verses of Luke chapter 9 together. Starting in verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I want you to notice with me first thing, this important transition of power that is taking place. Jesus sent out the twelve. Now, why 12? Was that, was that just his favorite number? It was 12 because this was a judgment on the 12 tribes of Israel. There is a, trans, a transition of power and authority going on here. From the genetic, fleshly, national Israel to the true spiritual Israel. Have you ever considered that none of these 12 were scribes or priests? Not a single one of them. God empowering these 12 represents a radical departure from the old system. And we can see this a little more clearly in Romans. So turn with me for a moment to Romans 9. We'll read 6 through 8. 
But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Now, I'm not saying that God has rejected all Jews in favor of all Gentiles. All 12 of these guys that he sent out were Jews. Uh, Jesus is a Jew. You know, sometimes people say Jesus was a Jew. No, he, he is. Jesus is a man and he's a Jewish man. Anti-Semitism is ridiculous and very uh, ungodly. True Israel, though, is made up of Jews and Gentiles who have repented and placed their faith in Jesus. There has always been a remnant of believing Jews. I mean, when they were in the wilderness and they sent that scouting party to check out Canaan, they came back and, and 10 of them gave a bad report and everybody listened to those 10, right? And what did God do? He said, all of you are going to die except two. Now, there may be a small remnant sometimes, but there's always been a remnant of faithful, believing Jews. So those who are in Christ are truly the sons of Abraham. They are the true and spiritual expression of Israel. Now, I read that passage from Romans. Well, the guy that wrote Romans was a Jew too, right? His name was Paul. He was a Jew of the Jews. So these 12 apostles being separated from and different from the priestly class is very meaningful. And by the way, are disciples and apostles the same thing? No, they are not. The disciples, 12 of the disciples became apostles. The Greek word translated uh, disciple is mathetes, meaning student or learner or pupil. And the Greek word translated apostle is apostolos, meaning one who is sent out on a mission. That is a messenger or an ambassador, or a lot of folks say just a sent one. So a disciple is a pupil, a learner, a student, but... An apostle is someone who has been given a task and a mission and sent out to carry out that mission. These who are merely students in the first 18 months or so of Jesus' ministry have become apostles in the last half of his ministry. In uh, verse 1 of Luke 9, it says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, See, Jesus equipped them to minister to the needs of the people and gave them the power that would validate their message. I mean, if they just went out and started preaching this different thing, people wouldn't have necessarily listened to them. So Jesus gave them the ability to verify what they were saying by working these miracles. We looked at the compassion Jesus had for suffering people last week, and we're going to see it again this week. The miracles he empowered his apostles to do were those that would alleviate human suffering, nothing else. And so you see that none of them were showing off. None of them were just proving their point. They were proving the validity of their message through hands-on ministry to individuals. Now, I told you that apostle means sent one. Well, what are they sent to do? In verse 2, it tells us, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God... 
and to heal. He sent them to carry the gospel message and to do ministry. He's been sending out his servants to do that same thing ever since then. There was an important transition of power here uh, that is not only that from the Jewish system to these individual believers, but there's also a transition of power that we see when Jesus was doing all the work. Jesus was doing all the ministry and these disciples were following him around, watching him, learning from him. But now Jesus has empowered them to go out and do ministry. So that's the second transition of power that I want you to see. They were becoming apostles, not merely learners. You can find a lot of churches with a lot of frills and that may be okay. As a matter of fact, it's great if you can do that. If you don't forget the two basic things that is, proclaim the gospel and minister to people. Uh, there's a, a wonderful book that I read a few years ago called Simple Church. And what it describes is that if, you're, if you've lost focus on those two primary things of preaching the gospel and ministering to individuals, you need to cut out everything else so that you can focus on the important things. Now, what are we as a church supposed to do? Well, we're to gather for corporate worship. We're to equip the saints for the work of ministering to people and proclaiming the gospel. In other words, if your job is to proclaim the gospel and minister to people, our job as the church is to equip you to do that. So we're to preach the word. Uh, the, the, uh, during the Reformation... The reformers said there are three things that make a church, a real church. That is the preaching of the word, the proper administration of the sacraments or ordinances, we call them, which are the Lord's Supper and baptism, and properly exercising church discipline, which unfortunately many, most of our churches have, have stopped doing. So that's what the church does. Now, what does the Christian individual do? It's really simple and it's really clear. It's proclaim the gospel and minister to people in love. So when you get up tomorrow, you already know God's will for your life. All right. I've seen people that get all wound up and paralyzed because they say, well, I'm not going to do this until I pray about it and pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. And I find God's will for my life. And that's great. It's, it's admirable in some things and some decisions. But a lot of us won't do what we already know is God's will for our life. You know, if, if you had a three-year-old in the house that had an older sibling and that older sibling was learning calculus and he came home and he talked about learning calculus and that three-year-old said, I want to learn calculus. Then what we'd say to him is, well, first you got to learn to count <laughs> and then you got you to learn to do addition and subtraction. And that's, that's pretty concrete, right? Because you can say, hey, if I have you know, five apples that I take two away, they can still count, right? Then they have to think more abstractly to be able to do higher math. And then by the time you get to calculus, you really got to know what's going on first. So we, we can't start flying before we learn to walk. And so a lot of us, if you're, if you're struggling with God's will in a certain area, make sure you're obeying what you already know to do. And that way we'll be starting out with the counting and the addition and subtraction and we'll work our way up to those more difficult things. So do the first thing first. Do you want to understand the deep mysteries of scripture? Do you want to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus? I hope you do. 
but obey what you understand that he has told you, and then we can reach those new heights. If you want to be productive for the kingdom and serve your Lord well, keep it simple. Proclaim the gospel and minister in love to people. Now back to the apostles. Can you imagine having the power to heal every disease and cast out demons? I mean, you could go over to South Central and just clear the place out. And I think before long, we would figure out, man, I can really, really make a lot of money doing this, right? (laughs) If you had that ability. Well, uh, you know, Jesus knew that I guess that temptation would be there. And so look what he says in verse 3. He says, and he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. He told them from the outset that God would provide for their needs. Now, we all know charlatans who uh, intend to get rich off the gullibility and the desperation of people. Well, these apostles and Jesus would have had nothing to do with those folks. I would guess there's a special place in hell for people who profit off other individuals' desperation. Well, maybe Judas would have, but none of the rest of them would have done that. So these apostles were given freely this gift, and they were given this gift primarily so that they could validate the gospel. And they went out and freely gave both away. They freely sowed the seed like we learned about the other week when we were looking at the parable of the soils. And they freely healed people. Now let's notice to whom the apostles were sent. The gospel is for everyone. This message and the power and the authority they were given were freely given to everybody. The message of the coming of the kingdom of God was not sent to just religious folks. It wasn't sent to just the rich and powerful. It wasn't sent to just the down and out. It was for everybody. So talking about that parable of the soils, the apostles were going out and just liberally, everywhere they went, sowing the seed of the word of God. Jesus reinforced this parable of the soils when he said what he said in verses 4 and 5. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Now, when the apostles found good soil, they stayed there, and they planted that seed of the word of God. When they found hard, unreceptive soil, they were to leave and shake off the dust and just keep moving on. If we'll pay attention, this will be very instructive for how we deal with our neighbors and how we deal with the folks in the Highlands community. There'll be people who are receptive. When we find those receptive people, we need to stop and invest in those people. There'll also be people who are hard ground and don't want anything to do with us. We need to move on, not waste our time there. And pray that the Lord will deal with that soil because he can soften the soil and we can go by and check later. But instead of beating our head against a wall, we go where people will receive us and we spend our time and our effort there. So that's what they were instructed to do and we'll see that's what they did. They kept it simple and did exactly what they were told. In verse 6 we see they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I know that you and I don't have miraculous gifts of healing, but we really do still have the same commission. We're to preach the gospel and minister to people. It is simple yet terribly neglected because we get too wrapped up in ourselves. 
referring back again to that parable of the soils, Luke 8, 14 said, And as what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So the challenge that we all have is to stay focused. Keep your eyes on the main thing. When you meet Jesus, do you want to have been living distracted by the cares and riches and pleasures of life? Or do you want to meet him having been faithful and obedient, doing what the master told you to do? And we are really good at at telling ourselves, well, this is just for a season. I'm just too busy to share the word and to minister to people right now because I'm finishing seminary or because we're looking at planting a church down there, or because I'm meeting with this church planter guy and, uh, and trying to get instruction. There's always an excuse for why you're not actually obeying right now. I have them too. And I know what I got to do with them is get rid of them and focus on the main thing. It's all about priorities. And guys, by nature, our priorities get skewed. We have to stop and realign them on purpose for them to stay where they need to be. Now, news of Jesus and his apostles and the miracles that all of them were doing reached Herod. And in verse 7 through 9, Herod asks a great question. He says, who is Jesus? In Luke 9, 7 through 9, now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed. Because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, John I beheaded, and who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. I believe Herod had a guilty conscience, don't you? I mean, he had killed uh, God's prophet. He had killed John. It would be very unnerving to think that you murdered a prophet of God and that God had raised him from the dead. That would be scary. Um, So he was nervous, but he did ask an excellent question. He said, whom is it that I hear such things about? We live around a lot of people who have heard of Jesus, but they have no clue who he is. How do I know that? Well, I know that because if they did know who he was, they would be in here this morning. They would be trying to find out more about who he was. They'd be trying to find out how to attain eternal life. And they would be trying to find out what it is that Jesus wants them to do if they really knew who he was. Now, this is why we have to go tell them. It's true that our country used to have a lot more good soil than it does right now. It used to be easy to speak to people about God because you could go assuming that they had some fear of God and some knowledge of God. That's just not the case anymore. But let me tell you, I tried to witness the other day to our pest control guy when he was here spraying the building. And he said that he didn't have time, but he thanked me for asking. And then here's the point. He told me, I go in churches, multiple churches every single week. And you were the first person that has ever asked me about my relationship to God. So it's not just folks in the pew, it's folks in the pulpit that forget what we're supposed to be doing. (laughs) And that's why we have to refocus on our priorities. Now you won't know the condition of the soil until you sow the seed. So Herod wasn't the only one asking who Jesus was. Look, jump down to verse 18. 
Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. There was a lot of speculation by a lot of people trying to figure out who Jesus was. Now, why would they think he was John the Baptist? Well, probably because he was preaching the same message as John the Baptist. John the Baptist came saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. Well, that's the same message that Jesus had. A lot of folks leave out repentance from the Americanized gospel. It's true that you can and should come to Jesus just as you are. But it's also true that he won't leave you as you are. He will change you into a new creation. Now, God doesn't tolerate and just wink at sin for which his own son suffered and died. God doesn't enlist dead, wretched rebels into his army. Instead, he transforms dead, wretched rebels into his own servants, into new creatures. And repentance is part of that. Anyone can come to God to receive grace and mercy, but nobody gets to come to God on their own terms. So we have to see what the Bible actually says and preach that gospel to people. And Jesus, just like John the Baptist, preached repentance. So we must include repentance when we share the gospel as well. Others said that Jesus was a resurrected Elijah. Now, why do you think they thought that maybe he was Elijah? Well, it was because Elijah did some amazing, mind-blowing miracles, and, and they hadn't seen that kind of power in Israel for a very long time. You know, Elijah stopped the rain in Israel through his prayers. God stopped the rain, but through the prayers of Elijah. God resurrected a child through Elijah. Elijah called fire down during the showdown with the false prophets. And God kept the widow's flour and oil from running out that entire time during that three-year drought while Elijah was staying with her. So amazing stuff like this had not been seen in a really long time. And so when Jesus came on the, on the scene and he was doing these huge, even resurrection miracles like Elijah, they thought, man, maybe this is Elijah. Other people said that one of the prophets of old had arisen. In other words, they said, well, we don't know exactly who this guy is, but he's got some old school, scary, powerful miracle abilities. Peter, though, had the right answer. He said, you are the Christ of God. Now, how did he know that? Well, for one thing, he had been hanging out with Jesus for 18 months, right? This, this story happens right in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. So Peter had been with him for a year and a half. So he had seen who Jesus is. He had exposure to the real Jesus, and people still need that today. And in order for them to believe in Jesus, they have to be exposed to the real Jesus. And you and I can do that through our testimony. But also God revealed the truth to Peter. It's not in this gospel, but in Matthew 16, 17, Jesus answered him saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So guys, that's the way it works for us as well. When we witness to people, we cannot be persuasive enough or eloquent enough or knowledgeable enough to talk anyone into the kingdom of God. But really, that's encouraging to me, if you think about it, because wouldn't you hate for the responsibility 
for your neighbor either ending up in heaven or hell being on your skill and eloquence? That would be terrifying. Thank God that's not the case. We already learned in the parable of the soils that the seed, the sower of the seed, is not the condition that affects whether the seed grows or not, right? The sower is just to go out and throw the seed out. The seed is perfect. The sower is doing his job. So really, the, the variability rests with the soils. Now, whether anyone hears or repents because of you, though, is your responsibility. Now, God is not going to use you if you don't speak. I was reading a, a really good book on witnessing. And, uh, you know, the guy that would go around to these different churches and teach them how to witness would say, well, there's one common theme that keeps coming up. People say, I just don't know enough. I, I can't do this. I'm not skilled enough. And he said, guys, God can use anybody that will talk. <laughs> the only people that he's not going to use is people that refuse to speak. And so that is a great thing for us to remember. Now, Jesus was the kind of guy that led by example. Jump back to verse 10 with me. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So you see what he did? The apostles came back, and they were all excited, and Jesus took them aside. And what did Jesus do? He spoke to these new, this new crowd that came to him of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So he said, you guys go out, preach the word and minister to people, they come back, and what did they find Jesus doing? Preaching the word and ministering to people. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away and go into the, to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodging and get provisions, for we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we are to go and buy all the food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. I've heard a liberal theologian give a defense of this. And what they said was, Jesus gave a really awesome lesson about sharing. <laughs> so the people that had thought to bring their lunch shared with those around them, and all was well. And he didn't actually come up with a lot more fish and loaves. Well, obviously, that is absolutely contrary to what the Bible says. He started with a few, and when they got done, there were 12 baskets left over, right? In verse 11, we see Jesus doing what he told the apostles to do. He was telling people about the kingdom, and he was ministering to them. Now, Jesus modeled what to do and empowered them to do it. He didn't just say, hey, guys, do what I say and not what I do. No, he modeled what to do and then said, do like me. Now, this is what we're called to do in the church as well. I am called to model and then equip you to do those two things, to share the gospel and to minister to people. Now, the power still has to come from Jesus. 
but we can be equipped through the preaching of the word and through discipleship in the church. These apostles returned super excited. I mean, they wanted to tell Jesus about their experience. They wanted to tell him all that they had done. They were anxious to report back. Now, keeping this very recent string of miracles, they were able to perform in mind. Uh, It's funny what happens next because they come to Jesus and they say, hey, you need to send these people away so they can get something to eat. I guess they thought Jesus needed their advice and didn't realize, you know. But anyway, they come and they instruct Jesus on what to do. And Jesus tells them, well, you give them something to eat. And uh, do they remember the miraculous stuff that they just did? Well, apparently not, because they say, uh, well, we don't have any food. We're going to buy a lot of food. And I'm not criticizing. I probably wouldn't have known what to do either. But the point is that Jesus will empower you and will empower us as a church to do what he tells us to do. He used the disciples to accomplish this miracle even. In verse 14, we see that he told the disciples, he said, you guys have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So he he was using them to help perform this miracle that he was about to do. And then in verse 16, he took the loaves and fish and he looked up to heaven and blessed them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So he didn't, I mean, we could have had manna rain down from heaven. (laughs) Jesus could have ignored the disciples. Instead, what he did was he used them. He said, guys, you go get them organized. Then I'm going to do this miracle of, of dividing this food up. And then you guys go serve it to them. So what that tells me is Jesus will empower us to do what he tells us to do if we'll start doing it. You know, we talk about, hey, when I say, when I say jump, you, you ask how high. No, when Jesus says jump, we just start jumping and then he gives us the power to jump however high we want, we're supposed to, right? Now, what would Jesus do in and through us if we really stepped out in faith while prioritizing the two things that he told us to do? The proclamation of the gospel and ministry to people. Guys, churches don't realize their potential because they don't have very much faith that Jesus will empower them to do what he calls us to do. Guys, that's why we don't witness sometimes. We don't witness because we say, oh, that person won't listen. That's not up to us. (laughs) All we're told to do is is stay in our lane and share the gospel. Uh, Talk about ministering to people. You know, some folks these days, if you start ministering to them and you start being friendly at all, they go, what are you selling Amway? You know, (laughs) there's a catch, right? There's some kind of catch or you wouldn't be nice to them. Well, we got to ignore all that stuff, ignore the potential rejection that we get. And we got to do the two things we're told to do. Preach the gospel. And you say, well, that's your job. And yes, it is. But it's our job as we meet people as we go. So we're to preach the gospel and minister to folks. If we can remember those two things, that'll be one victory. (laughs) And if we can obey those two things, that will actually change who we are and what we do.